We continue our series from 1 Corinthians, we're up to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And as you go through the chapter, it's interesting because there's times Paul will say, this is a word from God, this is my opinion, and he's very careful to give you the two different things. Now, we've got to be, as we read it uh, 2,000 years later, we need to be careful because he's writing to some very pressing issues that they had at that specific time. And we've got to be careful that we don't try and stretch some of those uh, views beyond what that uh, very narrow uh, answer to some of their questions were. So there's some issues that he brings up here that are quite important. And so rather than looking at just verse by word, uh, verse by verse, I'm going to take out some of the key uh, important uh, teachings that he has that are eternal. So when he says, you know, this is my opinion, uh, that's Paul basically saying, I don't think this is God's word. The rest is God's word, but this is my thought. But my thoughts as a godly man is probably pretty good thoughts at the best of times. So he's very careful and very conscious of what he's writing to them. So let's turn, before we turn to uh, the issue, the first thing he wants to do is look at marriage. And I'll read a passage to you that was part of the readings that we had at our church service, Jim, when we got married. And I reckon this verse here has been done at thousands, and if not millions, of weddings. And it's Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is good that the man should not be alone, and I'll make a helper fit for him. So it's a very interesting view that the, uh, the wife is not seen as a servant, but a helper as a partner in ministry. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And therefore we have the idea of us doing botany and science. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. For Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took out one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And so the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he brought into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my fresh flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The first marriage. So it's a marriage that was ordained by God. Now, uh, this is what I'm saying is an old Jewish tradition. It's not in Scripture, but it is beautiful. Uh, they will say that uh, God took Adam, uh, Adam's rib because it's neither above nor below him, but next to his heart for love and next to his arm for strength. So it's a, not uh, God's word, but it is a beautiful way of viewing what marriage is about. There's a sense of partnership. And Paul really strongly emphasised that sense of, um, of union as being part of the marriage relationship. So there in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, there in verse 3, it says this. Oh, sorry, uh, before that, verse 2. Uh, so he looks at the whole role of sex in marriage. So there in verse 2. But because of temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So the idea of the marriage is that is where sex is within that circle. So to the husbands, he says in verse 3, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. 
And the wife does not have authority over her own body, but her husband does. Likewise, her husband does not have authority over his own body, but his wife does. And it's very much a sense of saying there's an other person-centeredness about the marriage relationship. The whole aim of the husband is to be all-giving to his wife. The role of the wife is to be all-giving to her husband. And I've grabbed some verses out of the scripture that brings that idea of what harmony is when a Christian brother and sister have that love and bond for each other. So there in Psalm 133, verse 1, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And how good it is when a husband and wife live together in unity. Now, Jenny and I have been married far too long because there are times that we will finish each other's sentences. And she'll be halfway through a sentence, but I already know what she's going to say. Because that's part of the bond of being married. And the Bible talks about how that, um, that God is our refuge, but also a husband is a refuge for his wife, and a wife is a refuge for her husband. So it says here in Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Of course, Adam and Eve described as being a helper, that relationship. And it's interesting, the idea of um, what God's love is like has been described as the same love of that as a mother. Why? Because God saw that as one of the highest forms of love that can be there. So as a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you. And you'll be comforted over Jerusalem. So God is more than happy to use the marriage relationship as an imagery of our relationship with God. And so marriage and our godly relationship are very closely tied together in Scripture. Now the next part's quite interesting because I've put the heading to it, what is more important than sex? Now, that's a great sign you can have out the front of the church because people say, my gosh, what's that church teaching? But it says this in verse 5, Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. So then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Sex is important, but somehow stopping sex to pray together is seen as being incredibly high priority now many years ago i read a report on prayer in marriage and at that time about 45 percent of marriages were ending in divorce it was at one of the worst times uh, in in what was happening to marriages and the article went on to say that when a husband and wife regularly pray together the divorce rate went from 46 percent to less than one percent so if someone says, how do you save or protect your marriage as a Christian couple? You say, by the intimacy of marriage. So why is prayer so important? Because prayer is really intimate. It's you and God personally sharing with each other. So if a husband and wife pray together, they're sharing the intimacy of God with each other. So it's a relationship of three. So it says there in 1 John 5, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. There's a sense that prayer is not just words being said out to nothing, but God loves the prayers of his children. And what does the Bible say about prayer? Where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm in the midst of them. So when a husband and wife are praying together, there's a strong sense that God is totally involved in that bond of relationship. So the question we need to ask ourselves is why should we pray? Why should we pray as husband and wife? Why should we pray in small groups in churches? Why do we have prayer in church? Why do we have prayer meetings? So Ephesians chapter 6 says that for prayer in the Spirit on all occasions 
with all kinds of prayer and requests. For this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. There's a strong sense that we should be praying for each other. And one of the things I love as pastors, I know how many of you will tell me that you pray for me. And I'm very, very conscious of the amount of prayer that happens. And once a month when we meet for our prayer meeting, every single person gets prayed for in church. Every Sunday morning before church, most of you get prayed for in our prayer time together. And so what else does it say about prayer? If anyone among you is in trouble, what should be our first response? Let them pray. So a husband and wife praying together is a high priority. Then Matthew says in 26, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And so therefore, what troubles marriages? There is temptation, there is pressures, there's finances, there's stresses. What do you need to do? Bring them before God and put them on the table before him. Because the Bible says in Psalm 145, The Lord is near to all who call on him, and you who call on him in truth. So prayer is intimacy with God. God calls married couples to be supportive, to be faithful, to draw spiritual strength off each other. Now sadly over the years I've had to deal with many Christians whose marriages have ended on the rocks. And this is never good and this is never God's desire. And it's interesting, the question I've regularly asked the, the people who've gone through divorce is did you pray with your partner? And every single Christian couple who had separated had one answer, the same answer. No. And I wonder if they had prayed together, if they had spiritually supported each other, could that have got them through the rocky times? Because I know from being married for too long, every marriage goes through hard times. Every marriage has difficulties. So when you're a single person, all you do is worry about yourself. You go to the kitchen cupboards and everything you bought in the cupboards is what you bought yourself to eat. But once you're married, you're suddenly thinking, oh, what does my wife like? What would the kids like? What do other people want to have in the house? I have a very lovely friend of mine, Andrew, who is a vegetarian. And he probably does most of the cooking in the house. And his family are all um, rather vile meat eaters. And he's more than happy to cook their meat meals all the time. No, he never eats it because he loves his wife, he loves his kids because he's other person-centred. So it's interesting, marriages do break up. But what difference would prayer make? What difference would it be if you read the scriptures together? So the next big issue that Paul looks at is the whole issue of singleness. Is it okay for a Christian to be single? So who's single in Australia? 35% of people over the age of 15 have never married. Now, there's a couple of reasons for this. Now, uh, today, the average age of men getting married, any guesses? How old do you think the average man when they get married today is? 32. Ladies, marry at 30.1. Now, in my day, if you were 32 and not married, you thought, what an ugly bloke he must be and must be a selfish pig and no wonder he's not married. Now, just for a trivia time, put your hand up. Who here 
got married under the age of 20. Anyone got under 20? Right, who got married between 20 and 25? That's nearly everybody. Who got married between 25 and 30? Right, who got married over 30? One over 30. And he's handsome, so you obviously, you did okay. Me too. You were over 30 as well. Oh, well, so how old were you? How old were you when you got married? Six, oh, second time round, yes. Now, it's interesting. So people obviously marry later. I think when I got married at 22, I was about the average age of men getting married. And Ginny at 24, I think her poor dad was worried that she was never going to get married because she was an old spinster. <coughs> 23. She was okay. 23, I saved her from being 24. Now... What's happened? So we've got people marrying later, so therefore people stay single longer. Secondly, the whole area of divorce. In 2017, we had about 112,000 marriages, but we also had over 40,000 divorces. The average marriage in Australia is lasting longer. In the old days, it used to be seven years. The average marriage now lasts 12 years. The most common age for getting divorced for men is 45, for women 42. Now, why is, uh, what are some of the difficulties with marriage? According to the annual Australian Wedding Industry Report, your wife would love to hear this, in 2018, the average final cost of a wedding in Australia was over $31,000. So why do people live together? Because they're too poor to get married. So the big question is, is it okay for a Christian to be single? <clears throat> Jesus, our Lord, our Saviour, our Master, was single for the whole of his life. He died a bachelor. The Apostle Paul was also single. Now we had others like Peter, who was obviously, as a young disciple, was married. Uh, so there's a mixture of both married and single. And Paul was able to say this about his singleness in uh, 1 Corinthians 7. I wish that you were as I am myself, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, some people are single by choice. Some are single because their partner has died. Others are single because they've been divorced or separated. So one in four households in Australia is a single-person household. And that rate has increased dramatically since the 1970s. Now, one of the reports about uh, Christians in, in uh, England said that 35% uh, of adult church members in Britain are single people. And here today, this morning, I worked out about a third of you have not married. So it's a mixture of both single and married people. So why is this important? In the time when Paul was saying being single is good, what were the Jewish rabbis saying about singleness? So this is a first century rabbi called Eleanor, and he said, any man who has no wife is not a proper man. Now, I wonder how many Australian parents have thought the same about their poor kids if they don't get married. Because we now live in a generation of all these 30-year-olds 
all still at home with mum and dad. And mum and dad thought, I thought you'd leave at 20. Now the Talmud, one of the Jewish writings at that time, said this, the man who is not married at 20 is living in sin. So you can see the Jewish view was, if you're not married, being single was second class. You're not worthy. Now given this astonishing background, how positive is the New Testament about relationships? Paul sees singleness as a gift from God. There in 1 Corinthians 7, 7. And Jesus himself says in Matthew 19, For those to whom it has been given, the idea of singleness, he saw as being a positive response to how you lived. So as a Christian, is it good to be single? Yes, for the glory of God. Is it good to be married? Yes, for the glory of God. And we must resist the implications that being single is second best or God's second choice. The Bible never says this. Marriage is seen as being good, but the idea of being single has been given to some also as being equally good. So does being single have advantages? The Bible has two. Paul mentions two advantages to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Single people are spared the troubles of marriage. There are many great blessings in marriage. But it also comes with many difficulties. Now, understandably, Christian couples don't often talk openly about the hard times they face together, which means that some single people would look on marriage with rose-coloured glasses. But life is far more complex and more complicated than that. Marriage does bring many troubles into this life. And Paul says, I wish to spare you this in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 28. Secondly, what else could it mean? Single people can devote themselves more fully to God's work. And I was reflecting, Mikali in Kenya is a single man and who's got a very passionate focus on God's calling on his life. And he may stay single to the day he dies, to the glory of God. You've had uh, people like John Chapman in the Anglican Church in Sydney Diocese was a very, very famous evangelist. But he was also single for the whole of his life. And there's been different uh, evangelists, writers, preachers. Uh, I think, what's his surname? John, uh, famous English preacher from Langham Place. John Stott. John Stott was single for the whole of his life. Great Christian writer, great Christian evangelist, great Christian speaker whose focus and burden was that of a single man. In our Presbyterian Church here in New South Wales, our moderator last year, Kamal, single man. So God will use single people. God will use married people. Neither is better or worse. They are just different. Now Paul goes on to say about this, about married and versus unmarried men. In 1 Corinthians 7.32, And a married man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, and how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he will please his wife, and his interests are divided. So there's a strong sense that we as Christians need to support those who are single and support those who are married. Help married people to remain faithful and single people to be celibate and to the glory and honour of God. Now the third key area there is Paul reminds us that marriage is tough. So there in verse 10, To the married I give this charge, the wife should not separate from her husband, 
But if she does, she should remain unmarried or either be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. What's Paul saying? Yes, marriage is hard, but hang in there. Pray together, seek Christian help, and try and reignite the love that made you marry that person in the first place. Every marriage will go through hard times. And many marriages will be on the edge of divorce. And when you talk to people who've been married for 40 and 50 years, they'll say, there are a number of times that we came close to packing it all in. But for the grace of God. The last area, the fourth area that Paul looks at, is what happens if you've married a non-Christian? So there in verse 12, if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So the fact that your partner is not a, a believer is not grounds for divorce. It goes on verse 14 and says this, For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but it is that they are holy. And if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, a brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. So as a Christian, you do whatever you can to hold and save and protect your marriage. If your partner says, I will divorce you, out of respect, you honour their wishes. Now in verse 16, For how do you know the wife whether you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So if your partner is an unbeliever, pray, pray, pray. Live it in the hands of God. Remember that your husband married a wife, not Billy Graham, and so your role is not to evangelise your husband at every moment, but it is to be a godly wife in his relationship. So Paul gives us a whole of relationships. Now remember, Paul is a single man running in hard times. He's writing to both those who are single and those who are married, and he said, whatever state you're in, use that position for the glory and honour and praise of God. Use your singleness to praise God. Use your marriedness to praise God. And what is the focal point for Christian believers? We need to be people who pray together, support each other, be a spiritual union. Literally, the family unit is a micro church. The husband should say, I am the pastor to my children. It's my responsibility to spiritually grow them up and uh, read them the scriptures and give them a yearning for God's word. So Paul is very, very powerful in his desire of how we should live. All relationships are God-honouring. All relationships should be ones that are done in faith and love and mercy. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Father God, we thank you for the way that you've made each of us. For us who are single, may you give us the power and the strength of celibacy. May we use our time effectively for your kingdom. And for those who are married, may we be faithful within the marriage relationship. May we support each other spiritually and pray for one another effectively. Amen.